Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, and on. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizures of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering, the preserving of the soul. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that you deserve to be worshipped as our ruler, our sovereign king, one we have confidence in. Guide us, remind us that we have our faith in Christ for a reason. And we're just not to look good or to be famous, but it's to acknowledge all that has been done for us and will be done for us. We thank you for the rewards that come with knowing you. Guide us and give us wisdom. Help us to be convinced that this is a life worthy to be lived because following you is the best way to live. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm reminded of some students that I have in class, and there's a particular type of student who is the most difficult to teach. And that's the one who is least curious and too confident. I have one of those students, and she didn't like her quiz grade. And so I went over some problems in, uh, in class, and I explained that the numerator in the, is, is what you multiply, and the denominator is what you divide. Fractions, right? So I set the problem up, we solved it, and she insisted that she knew how to set it up already, but she didn't know which operations to put into a calculator. So I went over it again, and for some reason she said that it was just too hard. I said, no, it's not too hard. You even set it up correctly in the quiz, but you didn't put in your calculator correctly. That's not a, a hard thing to solve. We're going over this again right now, so let's go over it. And as I'm saying this, and as I'm going over the problem again, the numerator you multiply, the denominator you divide, she states that I don't understand her problem. And so, and her, with her saying that it's still too hard, I told her, no, it's not too hard. And I do know your problem. The problem is you sit there and 
she laughed. She knew what I was going to say. See, this is one of the students who's one of the top in the school. And so I gave her preferential seating in the back, expecting her to do well because the content is not hard and it shouldn't be for her. But what I saw was a phone, eyes looking at a computer. I saw a distraction. She was distracted. And so for the weeks that we're covering the content, she missed something. And she's telling me that I didn't understand her grievance, but I did. What I knew, though, was that she really wanted to retake the quiz. And so what do you do? You try to stand up for yourself. You say, hey, well, this is too hard. You didn't teach this. Uh, we didn't have enough time to go over it and all the excuses. But what you really want is to share with me that there's, for some reason, a need for me to give you what you want. Another chance at the quiz. I didn't need to explain to her that it was not hard. I needed her to be convinced that not only was this easy, that I was not the fool that she thought that I was. And so I went over it again, and for some reason, somehow, she understood it that time. See, I didn't just believe her when she said it was hard. Instead, I told her the truth, that her effort was lackluster. Once she knew that I knew, the game was on. She understood the concept, she picked it up, and just like that, we have a student ready to learn. I, I, the, the student was, was pretty confident that she knew that I didn't understand that she had an issue, and somehow I was supposed to empathize with her. Empathize. You've heard that word before, where you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of someone else to, to really carry on that burden and feel what they feel. And somehow I was supposed to do that. But I knew the truth that this grievance was something I needed to deal with because she was too confident and somehow she wasn't curious enough to ask for the answers or the ways to solve the problem. But I'm concerned not really about her, but about us here because some of us here sit in these pews curious and not confident not confident enough, not confident enough to know that our faith in Christ is way more valuable than any problem to solve in math class, any real estate to gain, any investment to accrue, whether or not you need to sell your business, not as important. The value is not there. That's not the investment you need to make. The investment you need to make is in your confidence in Christ. And for us here, my hope is that we will be reminded of that confidence that we need, we, we need to put in Christ. Our faith is not a mere emotional impulse, but a reasoned confidence. And that's what I want for you. Confidence in Christ. You might be curious today, but you need confidence. The author of Hebrews knows this, whoever he is. His name is not even in the book. But what we do find are some familiar names like Timothy. We even see some familiar names in the book like Italy. And some of the early church fathers, they even proposed possible authors, but ultimately we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who has inspired this book. This is God's word. 
the book references a lot of Leviticus and sacrifices that you see there. You know that book that you probably have skipped over or the pages are stuck together. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. And Hebrews 10 does that as well. It references things like sacrifices. But it does so much more. It references more than just Leviticus in the Old Testament. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 9, you can see that. And it, it, it references a passage in Psalms, Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And it's regarding the incarnation of Christ. Did you know that the incarnation of Christ was referenced way before the New Testament existed? The Old Testament. Hebrews 10, verses 15 to 17, even talk about, in reference, Jeremiah 31, talks about this eternal covenant. The fact that the laws will be written on the people's heart. But it talks about Jesus throughout the book. Jesus is better than any old thing that has been proposed. Talks about a temporary old covenant and a permanent new one. It talks about obsolete promises and better ones. It talks about many priesthoods, the people who were going to God on behalf of the people and replacing that with one. The one of Melchizedek, who is embodied in Christ. The need for perpetual and continual sacrifices, multiple animals slaughtered for appeasement, down to one. One man, one God-man offered up for the salvation of many. Man to replace man, but fully God's to replace any and every man who bows their knee to King Jesus in faith. So many things happen in Hebrews chapter 10, but I'm curious. For those who are here and you're not curious enough to get confidence. See, what I know as a teacher is that the students will have confidence when they have competence. So my hope is that you will not only stay awake today, but you will learn something. That might be the very thing that you needed to make sure that you have eternal life, salvation, not just when you die, but you can live like it today. Life is better with Jesus. And considering that, I'm going to look at two types of confidence that I hope that you will embrace, that you will adopt, you will invest in your own lives. That is the rewarded confidence. And we'll see that in verses 35 to 36. And that's the righteous confidence. We'll see that in Hebrews 10, verses 37 to 39. First, we read, and we start at verse 35. Verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. A great one. Don't throw it away. Well, first of all, consider what happened before that. That's why the therefore is there. He's talking about, in verse 32, the, the former days when there were great conflict and sufferings how there are people going through some hard times, reproaches and tribulations. Notice these terms that are used. 
the difficulties, the cries, the anguish. They were treated in such poor ways. 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Some of us are still trying to get property. As a, a goal that you are pursuing over the next several decades, these individuals, some of these, they lost it. They lost their property to get a more lasting and better possession. And so with that in mind, don't throw away your confidence. See, when you lose all the earthly things that you have, don't throw away. This idea of throwing away, it means to cast it aside. It reminds me of this, this sunken cost fallacy where you could be investing in something that's never going to bring a return as you expect it. That's not what this is. You went so far as to make sure that even though your seizure was taken from, this, this property was, was seized from you, or taken from you, that you have a confidence that's worth it. A confidence in Christ. There's a reward that's better than your house or investment properties or businesses or the love of your life. Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence. That's what we're throwing away. <laughs> this confidence is a bold resolve. Uh, if you wanted to break down the terms confide means with faith, confidence. You, you have a confidence in relationship that you have with God and there's a reward that comes with it. Notice, do not throw away your confidence. It reminds me that there are some confidences, some things that I'm confident in that I need to throw away instead. Uh, some of the ones that compete with my confidence in Christ, like my ability to, you know, maybe exegete a scripture, or maybe it's to, to, to do math in my head, or maybe just to look a certain way, uh, or to, to appeal to someone. Uh, maybe it's some type of tactic that I have, a skill. Uh, I, I submit to you that your, your character is way more important than your skills. Skills don't necessarily get you in heaven unless it's some type of wisdom that is associated with sticking closer to Jesus. You need to have character. I need you to have confidence, though, in the Christ that you say you have faith in. This confidence in Christ and God comes with a great reward. Now, we can see... Songs about the Christ in me, and I want to make sure that we see the reward associated with him, just like we see the benefits associated with the jobs that we look for. Salvation is in view here. Heaven is in view here. It's a long game, the long game. It's not just mere some short term, let me get a, a bit of little happiness we get some, some, some thank you, good job for being here. I, I, we need to have a, a, a long-term goal here, that there's a, the, the, the reward is great. So great that there's no reason to even consider throwing away our confidence. And 
By the way, I'm not talking about the confidence in our skills and our abilities. I like how Paul, to the Corinthian church, talked about how he didn't even want them to, to know that he knew anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't have to be a professor. You don't have to have a lot of money or things to have confidence in Christ. You don't have to be impressive. (laughs) You just need to be impressed with the one who is going to come and save you and save the day. There's great reason, great benefit. And even in with the kids, I remind the kids that there's a there are benefits. There's a uh, the the ability to please God, because without faith, you can't even please Him. If you're still in the flesh, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't even please Him. Romans eight eight, Hebrews eleven six. You have even the ability to understand things that the, that God can open up uh, to you as you read the truth. You read His Word. You have a group of other people that you can surround yourself with. That you can serve and be served in their midst. That's just why you're here. Christ died not just to save your soul and give you eternity in heaven, but also to redeem your ability to think and reason, to be rational. The reason why you have faith, wait, hold on. There is a reason to have faith. It's not just a feeling. You didn't just get emotional one Sunday and say, mm, I feel it. Let me come to the front. And if you did, let me give you some confidence that we believe in a God that exists and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll get there. Uh, I, I want to make sure that we have a confidence in the in the Christ who died for your sins because you know you committed them. But he didn't stay dead. He resurrected. Uh, do, you, do you believe it, though? That's I, you have to believe it. Like you have to you have to know that when somebody comes to you talking about macroevolution, you know how to respond and say, but Jesus, but God, like you, you but God saved me. You, you understand that there's, there's a philosophy of the world that's going to come to you uh, at your engineering companies, at your finance companies, your marketing companies, and you're going to be able to say, but God. And even if you don't say it to them in your head, but God, but God, Jesus died. Jesus being fully God and man, he died for my sins and he resurrected. He didn't stay dead. I can have hope that I will one day resurrect too. I have faith in him. Have confidence in him that what he said will accomplish, will be accomplished, the reward that I will receive, I will receive it. That this life is meant to be lived with purpose, rooted in him. There's a great salvation and deliverance. And in verse 36, it goes on to talk about how for you have need of endurance. See, don't just be cocky. If you're going to be confident, be confident. And some of the, some of the issues that we have sometimes as believers is that we were, we were, we were confident because we just learned something and it's like, oh, that made sense. And then somebody else talked to us and then we, we stopped going to church or we stopped reading the Bible, we stopped praying, we stopped doing things that will feed us spiritually. And then we try to rely upon our sixth grade understanding in the 12th grade. I have to communicate this to my students. 
you are in the 12th grade. We just did assessment. It said that you were in the 8th grade in your math skills. You can't do that any longer. You can't. You have been saved for how many years? I don't know. But whatever, however long it was, make sure that you are still growing, learning to where your confidence is still there. Maintain your confidence. You need endurance. You need to be consistent, unwavering. You need to be loyal with your faith. I want to make sure you understand this, though. Uh, you may have had some people in your lives that seemed like they were strong. There's nobody who just simply puts their faith in Jesus and decides somehow that beforehand, my God was the foundation of my reasoning, and now he's no longer the foundation of my reasoning. That doesn't happen. That doesn't make any sense. See, God is the reason why we have objective truth. Because it's based upon him. See, sin isn't bad just because it hurts someone's feelings. That's not the only reason why sin is bad. It's not because uh, you lied and therefore it, somebody feels betrayed. Uh, no, it's, sin is, the lying is bad because God is perfectly faithful. Adultery is bad because God is perfectly faithful. This goes back to who God is. Sin is so bad because God is so good. We have to put this in perspective. God is the reason. He is the basis of our reasoning, objective truth. And so when it, when it says endure, it says we need endurance. And even so it goes on, it says, so that when you have done the will of God, don't miss the will. And whose will we're talking about? See, there's a basis by which we have certain desires in the first place, and that's God, and that's who he is. See, he's consistent in who he is and in how he acts. He had a plan for salvation to save sinners. And so God, the son, came down, incarnated. He's man. He's, he's mortal. He's able to die now, and he dies. Having already established a covenant with his people. And so God established the covenant comes down in the form of man, dies because he's now immortal to fulfill the covenant like a will. Some of y'all know about a will. If you don't, this is the same idea that Hebrews 9 talks about. A covenant like a will, that the, the contents of the will are not enacted, not given to the beneficiaries until the person who established the will dies. So God established the covenant. Jesus dies. Jesus is fully God. I trust that. I believe that. I believe in Jesus and who he actually is. I trust that the promises will be given to me. Ephesians 1 talks about how we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment. And some of you know what a down payment looks like. You give a certain amount of money with the promise that I will come up with the rest of it. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. He gives himself. He's going to be faithful to give the rest of the promises if he can start with the down payment of the Holy Spirit. We need endurance, knowing that that is the God who we serve, that we believe in, that we have our confidence in. And no one is just simply strong in the faith and they just give up. 
No, no, no. That person was probably curious. They just showed up. It looked like they knew some things because they went somewhere to study or said something. <laughs> I, I, I hear some of the conversation. I hear some of the thoughts that people say, the, the things that they've heard or they read up and the books that are missing, but somehow they have access to them. And uh, sometimes, I don't know, I don't get it, but um, I know that I have confidence in Christ. And that confidence is not merely something that I, I trust. It's not me I'm trusting in. I'm not trusting in my confidence. I'm trusting in Jesus. Make sure that you have your confidence in Jesus, not the confidence in you. It's not your confidence to be confident. That's not, that's not what it is. We, 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 we see that in verse 36 that we need to do the will of God, and that is everything that comes with him and his desires. We have to put our faith in him. We have to live like it. So that when you have done, verse 36, the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What was promised, actually. Uh, it, it, there was a promise back in the day. And everybody knows the John 3.16, uh, the eternal life part. Uh, we know the, the eternal life. I just want us to remember that that's an actual thing. That's not just a saying. That we will one, die, one, way, one, one day die. You know you're going to die, right? Okay. Um, you're going to die. There's going to be eternal life that awaits you. That was promised before you even died. That was promised before you died. I'm setting up uh, some things for my son, my kids, um, in, in hopes that they will one day be able to use the resources that they are given uh, to their advantage. I don't know if they're going to be the foolish people that I will train them to be or the, uh, or the, the wise people that I will train them to be. Because uh, anyway, either way, I'm gonna, they're going to give you some type of biblical counsel because I'm their dad. Uh, so I, I, I don't know how they're going to use the resources, but my hope is that they will be confident with whatever they have uh, in Christ. Because it doesn't matter what you have that I give you. If you don't have the confidence in Christ, you will lose every time. You can lose every time. And you can even, with wisdom, use what I give you and still lose because somebody, all they have to do is come and seize your property. And then my son, my daughter, they're, they're going to need to know that your confidence was in Christ the whole time. That's where it should have been. I don't know who here is just curious and not confident, but you need to be confident this time. There's a reward that comes with it. And if you're not swayed by the fact that you get eternal life, keep listening. Verses 37 to 39. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. (laughs) I love it. Uh, This is an interesting passage, uh, especially because it's it's not done. Uh, Notice verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. It speaks of the one who is coming will come. Christ, is, Christ was always coming. That's why he's identified as the one coming. And one day he will come. This is what we believe. We trust that. He's not going to delay 
Uh, by the way, uh, so many world wars have happened, and some of you are, are have put together this idea, oh, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and that's when he's going to come, et cetera, et cetera. So many have, have come already that sometimes you've got to wonder, like, why didn't he come then? So many bad things have happened in history. Why didn't he save the people back then? Why didn't he just come? I don't know. And neither do you. All I know is when he comes, just like he died, it's going to be timely. It's going to be on time. I don't know his will. All I know is that somewhere in Peter it says that a day is like a, th- like a thousand years, thousand years day. He's going to one day come back and he's waiting for people to repent, to turn from their sins. The same sins that Jesus died for, he's trying to get people to return, to turn their back on sin. He's waiting for that. And when he comes back, it will be on time. It may seem like a delay, but it's not. This passage is a reference to Habakkuk chapter 2. You might be familiar with the first part of verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. That's, that's uh, quoted in, in several places, actually. Uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, Galatians chapter 3. They quote Habakkuk 2. Now, what's interesting about Habakkuk is uh, he's talking, he's giving his grievance to God. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, he says, How long, Lord, have I called for help and you do not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. He has been acting, asking for God to act and save In the face of things like disaster, devastation, destitution, violence, strife, contention. And then Habakkuk chapter 2, God responds. And he says, write down the vision and inscribe it clearly on tablets so that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hurries toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it delays, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay long. Notice the appointed time. It will come, and it will be timely. It may seem like it has not come yet, obviously, but it's not going to delay long, and it's going to be on time. It's for the appointed time And then verse 4 in Habakkuk chapter 2. Behold, as for the impotent one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous one will live by his faith. That's Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, it talks about the impotent one. This is somebody who's proud, the proud one. It's the same word that's referencing the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 14 when God told them to go take over the, the land, the promised land, the promised land. You get me? The promised land. He said, go get it. They said, no. God said, okay, 40 years is your sentence. Dun, dun, dun. In the wilderness, they said, okay, no, we changed our mind. Guess what God didn't do? He didn't change his mind. So they decided they're going to go up anyway. And it says this. It says, it, it says, that they acted presumptively. 
And they went to take this hill and they got whooped. They got whooped. They were the impotent ones. Now let's come back to Hebrews. Notice here. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I think it's fascinating now, the person who shrinks back, his soul is not right within him, but that's not what it says in Hebrews. It references his idea, and I'm, I'm, how is, have my soul has no pleasure in him. God's soul has no pleasure in him. So in Habakkuk, we talk about his soul is not right within him. The, the person who's impotent, the proud person here in the Hebrews talk about how my soul, from God's perspective, not the man's, but from God's perspective, my soul has no pleasure in him. I like to play on words there. My soul has no pleasure in him. Hmm. person who shrinks back. This person who withdraws. This is the apostate. Hebrews 6 already references a person who's apostate, that they seem like they're a believer, but they never were. They were in our midst, and then somehow it could be for one year, three years, 20 years, they decide, no, I'm finally going to be confident in the fact that I'm not going to accept this. They're merely curious. That's it. God has no pleasure in this person. He's not well pleased in them. There's, not, there's, there's, there's no reason to be pleased with them. Just because they showed up to church doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean that they were faithfully following the Lord. <laughs> How many times will people deny God? Have been exposed to the truth? How many times have we? How many times do we with our actions so that we don't actually believe that God is present or engaged with us now, uh, lack of faith. How many people are trying to make excuses for the fact that they don't believe? Making excuses all the way to hell, that's worth it. Look at verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Destruction is what you shrink back to. Destruction. There's no life there. Destruction. Do I need to explain that one? You want to be destroyed? Eliminated? Game over? If you think destruction is worth the purpose in life, I have some oil that I got from a snake that I want to sell from you. The problem is some people will actually buy the snake's lies. You've heard, you probably know some of those people. They brought the, bought the Satan's lies. I want to be clear about this. The, the church has much work to do because that's why we're here. Individual Christians, you can go evangelize to your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member, whoever, they don't even have to come to church to hear the gospel. <laughs> come on. <laughs> they could hear it from you. The same message that you believed. The same message that preserves your soul. Look at the end of verse 39. But though of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You can have your soul kept safe. 
And what about the other person that you know? I'm reminded of this need to get rid of imposter syndrome, how some people, even Christians, believe that they, they need a minister, uh, somebody who's trained or to preach the gospel for them. I wanted to help you out there. Um, if you believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and man, that he died for your sins and resurrected, go tell people that message. And then tell them to put their faith in him. Ask, ask them to turn from the sins that Jesus died for and receive the great reward of salvation and let Jesus be your Lord and Savior. Tell them that. And you can even know if you're on the street. Okay, well, let me tell you what I believe and then let's have a conversation about that because I want to hear what you say. Uh, so what I believe is Jesus Christ is being fully God and man died for our sins and resurrected so that those of us who turn from that sin, put our faith in Jesus, get to have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So what about that don't you believe? And why won't you believe in him? Now have the conversation. Guess what you just did? You told them the gospel. You, you, and then refer back to the same gospel you already told them. I'm just asking that you have some confidence, though. I'm asking that you have a sense of, I got this. Not because you're a good communicator. That's not, it's not you. But because you are confident in Christ. Because God is the one who's going to bring the results. We plant, we water, God causes the growth, the increase. He causes that increase. Do you believe it? Are you confident in this message? If not, we have some, we're going to have some people here to help you after service, to talk to you about him, about Christ. If you're confident, maybe you need to come up and offer your services to help people, others, be confident. Maybe you're not much of a talker. Maybe you're just like a greeter, a handshaker. Maybe you need to, hey, uh, just want to make sure you're, everything's all right. Uh, I, I, we heard the sermon. Uh, what are your thoughts about confidence and being confident in the gospel in Christ? I tell the kids, I ask the kids, if you were to die tomorrow, where would you go? Some of them say, heaven. I say, why? Because I put my faith in Jesus. I say, where do you get that from? They say the Bible. I say, where in the Bible? I want them to be confident because somebody else could ask them the same question and they're not confident and then somehow they, they freeze and now somehow that shakes their confidence now? No, I don't care if you freeze. Go back. Hey, what do I need to say in this case? And then now you're good. People, I need you to be confident. We have work to do. Be confident in the Lord. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we get to be here. You've been good to us and help us to have confidence that we are here for a reason, that we serve you, our God, in faithfulness. Please develop in us the character that we need to serve you better. Help us represent you well as your ambassadors. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.